Morning Church Project. How's everyone doing? Everyone is alive and looking well. Everyone is beautiful and everyone made it. So we're glad that you're here today. Uh, my name's Aaron. I'm the pastor here at Church Project. If you're a first time guest, uh, we hope that you can relax and enjoy yourself today. Uh, we hold the Bible in high regard. So if you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible near you under a seat. And also there's Bibles on each side. And so if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. So I think that's a pretty cool little gift. Uh, hey, I want to start out this morning a little differently because um, we are, we, we're next weekend, uh, the 3rd of July. We're not meeting. Like, so if you come here next Sunday, uh, it's going to be awkward because no one will be here. And uh, I just wanted to warn you of that. So if you're not getting one of our emails, every Tuesday we send out an email and it tells you what's coming up this next week and upcoming events. If you're not getting that, I think it would be pretty important to fill out that response card and you can put it in, in either one of the offering uh, boxes on each side of the room. And then you'll get the updates as to what's happening at church project events and when we're not meeting, stuff like that. And so uh, let, let's look at our week coming up. This Wednesday, we have a house church. That's going to be wonderful. Hopefully, you can go to one of those. Next Sunday, we do not meet, and so don't come. Then the following Wednesday, uh, projects, Project Kids are having a play day at the park, and then that night is actually our first Wednesday, so we'll meet somewhere else and have first Wednesday. So all that to say, there's a lot that's changing the next two weeks. Just watch your email. It'll all be good. James chapter 5, verse 9 and 11. If you don't have a Bible, it's the Blue Bible. And on the, in the Blue Bible, you can turn to page 700. So page 700. Last week we began and we looked at James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. And in, in your Bible, I don't, I don't know if you, how your Bible is broken up, but in my Bible, I have little sections and little headings on those sections, and it kind of tells you, gives you a little synopsis of what these verses are about. And so the section we started last week, um, we continue this week, and we won't quite finish until two weeks from now, but my section says, Patience in Suffering. Patience in Suffering. So last week we started and we started looking about patience and suffering and verse 7 and 8 said this, Be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And we looked at those verses last week and we really talked about how these verses are talking to us specifically. As, as Christ followers, us, it's like an internal, be patient, be patient while suffering, be patient. And then this week we get to these verses here and it starts in verse 9, still talking about being patient, but, the, but it adjusts a little bit and the context shifts a little bit in verse 9. And so let's follow along in verse 9, 10, and 11 is what we're going to look at today. It says, do not grumble against another brother. So last week we're talking about patience within his suffering. This week we're talking about patience through suffering. It says, do not grumble against another brother. So that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door as an example of suffering and patience. Brothers, take the prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider, tho- uh, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. 
As we hit verse 9 and James begins to teach us, and let me back up and give the context again of James. James has written this book to the early church. And so they're having a family meeting. And they're not talking about anyone outside the church. They're talking to Christians. And they're saying, Christians, here's how we live out our life. Here's how our faith matches our work. This is what we should be doing. This is what our actions should look like. This is how we should be speaking, spending our money. We can look through all of the book of James, and it's, it's like instructions of how to live this Christian life. So it starts in verse 9, it says, do not grumble against one another, brothers. Context is the church, and he's looking at the church, and he's saying, do not grumble and, and, and talk bad about each other, church. And if you look at the original text, the grumble, this word means to groan, to sigh, to complain in an intensive and excessive manner. This word groan means to complain in a bad tempered way. And I know none of us groan or moan or complain about each other in a bad tempered way. But look at these words. I think the powerful of how, how James put them right next to each other. It says, do not grumble, complain in a bad tempered way against one another. What an offensive thing. When you put those two words together and you hear grumble against one another, it's something that happens to us. It's against us. And James saying, why are we doing this, church? We've been redeemed. We've been saved. We know the love of God. And yet we come in here and, and oftentimes it may be because of our internal, like that's, we're not at peace internally. And so what happens, the, the, the uh, previous part of James here is James is saying, because you're not at peace with God, it's being lived out in your external life. And when we get to verse 9, he's saying, because you're not at peace with God, because you're grumbling against God internally, of course, you're going to look up and begin to grumble in excessive ways against sin against each other. And it stems from a heart that is drifting away from God. It says, dear Do not grumble against one another, brothers. Some brothers or sisters' actions isn't at par with our expectations in our life, so we verbally attack them in a condescending way. Have you ever done that? A brother or sister, you're not performing to my expectations. And so we verbally attack them in a very condescending way. This passage is about patience and waiting on God to wrap it up. The whole, wrapping up the end times, wrapping up earth, wrapping up all of that. But also, this passage in the context of James is about being patient and waiting for God to wrap us up. To make us more like Him every single day. And not force His hand and not say, God, I'm not waiting. But we're waiting on God to make us more like Him. That fancy word is sanctification. That we're waiting for God to make us more like him every day. You know what this passage reminds me of? Our family's about to go on a trip, and so I couldn't help but think about this. This this passage reminds me of the last hour of an 18-hour car ride. (laughs) Aren't those beautiful? Last summer we drove down to Texas and we're, you know, all the way down to San Antonio and had car problems, all that stuff, and we're making our way back. It was a long trip. I mean, our car smelled like McDonald's. And we didn't even have McDonald's. Like, I don't know what was going on. But it's, it's always like when you turn on to 34, whichever way you come, and you got that last hour, and it's just like 
dad's about to yell at mom, mom's about to yell at dad, daughter's kicking dad's seat. Like, it's just one of those tense moments where it's like everybody needs to just shut up for a minute and sit back and not talk because we're not there yet. Like, we still have an hour to go. We're not there yet. That intense moment. And James is saying, we're not there yet. We're not as we should be yet. God isn't done completing his good work in us, but he is loving us and he's pursuing us. And he's saying, here, be patient like the farmer waits. Be patient and don't grumble against each other. Don't attack each other verbally. Let's love each other. When we are focused on us, bad things happen when we're focused on us. James chapter 2, verse 13. If you look back just two chapters, James 2, 13. He starts the book and he says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has been shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. And yet we come in and we have the tendency to attack, to grumble, and talk bad about each other. Why? Because we are, we are in conflict with God in our hearts. We're beginning to focus on us. And what happens in my actions, and I won't put you in my category, but let me tell you what happens in my actions when I'm at conflict with God and I, and I begin to grumble about you. I'm doing nothing more than bullying you with my words and my actions. I'm being a bully. And we hold each other captive when we do this. We hold each other captive. We mute greatness in each other's lives when we begin to grumble and be condescending and holding people up to expectations that are unfair. We begin to be their judge and in a very graphic way. We abort what God has birthed in them. We are not showing mercy when we begin to grumble excessively against, against each other. You can't Control somebody and have intimacy with them at the same time. We can't be a a body of Christ that moves together in loving ways and intimate ways and pray for each other and all this stuff. We can't be an intimate body if we're trying to control them at the same time. And the question really comes down to me, and as I was looking at this passage this week, it really came down, and I had to ask myself a lot of these kind of questions. Am I looking horizontally for what God has already given me vertically in Christ? Am I looking to be affirmed in you? The church, my brothers and sisters, or am I looking to Christ to be affirmed and saying, God, I want to be like you. Make me more like you. And as he makes me more like me, I become more at peace internally. And when I become more at peace internally, I have way more patience for everyone horizontally. But when I'm not there, watch out. I'm nothing more than a verbal bully. And James sees this in the church. And he says, church, do not grumble against one another, brothers, sisters, So that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Ask this question to us, church. Are we a people drawing others toward Christ or pushing him away? Are we a people with our words, even amongst each other, that we're we're calling out greatness in each other or pushing them away and being condescending? James challenges us to stand against our culture and, and by, by doing this, what is he, he doing? He's refusing to let the church, us, harm each other by our words and by our talks and the way that we talk about each other. Love 
casts out fear and makes people powerful again. Love casts out fear and makes people powerful again. And shame is removed through love. So with our words and with each other, are we shaming each other or are we loving each other? I want to be part of a church and I want to be a part of a people that let's be a people that calls out Christ in each other. Instead of calling out the aliases that the world has asked us to display. Like let's call out the real people. The real people that God has designed us to be and he's crafted us to be. Let's with our words call that out. Let's remove shame from each other. And the way that we begin to do that is we begin to speak life and love and hope and joy into each other's lives. Let's aim to be a people that we get to experience Christ together. Are you following me on that one? That we get to experience Christ together? Here's what I mean by that. We, we are a people that read about Christ every day. Every week we do this expository teaching. We break apart these words. I mispronounce Greek all over the place. We go super long. Like we, This is what we do. We open the Bible and we hear about God every single day and every week here at Church Project. But let's be a people that get to experience God. That you personally, when you come in, you get to experience God because someone as a brother or sister comes up and with their words and with their actions, they are pulling Christ out of you and calling you to greatness and breaking the chains and breaking shame in your life and not condescending and being condemning, but a people that love and they get to experience and we get to experience Christ with our actions. Amen? This is what I want to be a part of. I want to build an inheritance in you. And I want to give life, and I want to do this together. The only way that this is going to happen, and James reminds us over and over and over again in this passage, in this book, the only way that that's going to be happen is to remember the depths in which I have been restored from. Remember the depths in which I personally have been restored from. And I, when I remember, and I don't soon forget, how much God has loved me and forgiven me, then it's easier for me to love. And let's keep in mind 1 Corinthians 4 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. God is our judge. We are not. Let's love each other. Let's spur each other on to love and good deeds. And let's call out greatness in each other. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another. Grumble, don't attack your brother and sisters. Stop verbally abusing them. Quit being a bully, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged Behold, the judge is standing at the door. God Almighty is our judge. We move into verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. To obey is to do God's will. To obey with our life is to do God's will. Even if we don't agree, by the way, or it hurts to obey, it hurts too much, to obey is to do God's will. 
If you hear a gospel that is teaching that everything in our Christian life should be okay and be easy, run away. It is a false gospel. Like, run away. Even though we don't like it, even though it hurts, even though it might cause pain, even though this person just really just, whatever it is, though it's easy, though God has called us and put us into these situations, if we run from it because it's not easy, we're living a false gospel in our life. We are promised that just as the world hated Christ, it will hate us, and life will be hard. And so in verse 10, as James is writing us this love letter and encouraging us, he says, as an example of safe suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. I think of the teaching of Jesus and the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, chapter 10. Jesus says this, says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we live this life, knowing that we're going to join Christ in his suffering. Maybe not to the, to the degree that Christ did, dying on a cross, but we will, as brothers and sisters and members, sojourners in this foreign world, as aliens and strangers traveling through, we will be persecuted. We will join Christ in his suffering. And it's for his name's sake that we can join the prophets in the name of the Lord is how we live our life. Hebrews 11 is a great chapter. If you want to read it one day, maybe today, and just open it up. It's often referred to as the Hall of Fame of of Christians who lived. Great, great people that have lived before us and how they lived incredible life through persecution and patience and suffering. And read through Hebrews 11. It's beautiful. And how they lived their life in the name of the Lord. So James is writing, he says, stop complaining against each other, grumbling, attacking each other. Verse 10, as an example, we see the suffering patience of the brothers and the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And then we go to verse 11, behold. That word behold, if you look at that, means this. As you already know, as you already know this, behold, we consider we already consider these, uh, the, the st- uh, we consider these blessed who remained steadfast. There's already people in this time that have gone before the church, and the church is looking back and saying, remember those who remained and they were steadfast? Remember them? We consider them blessed. And now, as we look back on the stories that we have in the Bible and men and women that have gone before us, we can look back and say, behold, those who have, have remained are blessed, those that have remained and been steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purposes of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. If you know the story of Job, you see patient suffering and endurance through this suffering. Job chapter 2 verse 3 says this, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. It's guaranteed that we will join Christ in our suffering. Do we do so in the name of the Lord? 
Or do we do so complaining and getting our feelings hurt and saying, God, this is not fair. This gospel should feel a little easier than this. How do we enter into suffering patiently? We do so in the name of the Lord. It's right there in our text. James has told us the way that we do this is we do it in the name of the Lord. And oh yeah, by the way, in verse 11, as we think back of the people that have stood, they've stood through this, this, all the things going on in their life, they've stood there, we consider those blessed. As we think of Job, we think of the men and women that we know in our lives and we read about that have stood strong. God allows Christians to be tested to prove our faith. We read about that in the beginning part of James. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4. So just flip back four little chapters right there to one page probably. James chapter 1, 2 and 4 says, Count it all joy. What? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And as we stand with Christ, and as we live our life, and as trials come our way, and hard things come our way, we count it joy. Because through each one of these hard moments, and everything that we're going through, God is continuing to make us more like Him. And we're maturing in our faith every single day. This is not the easiest thing to hear as we read through the gospel. But isn't it true in your life? Isn't it true? It's true in my life. There's things I'm going through right now that I'm like, God, I don't know what you're doing to me right now. (laughs) But one day, on that side, I'll see what you've done. Because on this side of those past stories, I can say, God, that was hell. And I don't know what you were doing there, but I can see how you've used it to mature me. And I can see how my life is more like you because of that. And the only way that I could be where I'm at right now, though I still have a long ways to go, I have matured greatly through these trials and these sufferings that you've asked me to join you in and to count a joy. So as hard as it is to hear, church, let's count these sufferings as joining Christ in his suffering in the name of the Lord as he makes us more like him every single day. Oh, but look. In verse 11, I like how James ends. He says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how God has purposed to grow him more like himself, and how the Lord is, and what does your Bible say? Mine says, compassionate and merciful. Compassionate and merciful is God Almighty as we join him in the sufferings of this world. It's the attributes of God compassionate and merciful. It is through our suffering in this world that these attributes of God are put on display. I'm going to let us sit on that for a second. It is through our suffering, Christians suffering in this world, that these attributes, compassion and merciful of God, are put on display. God uses our suffering to display who he is. And as we look at our passage, 
All of this is for the purpose. You've seen the purpose of the Lord. The Lord had a purpose in Job's life. The Lord had a purpose in this early church as James is talking. He's saying all the suffering and everything is an attribute of God, his compassion and his mercifulness, and it's all purposed in him. He has a purpose for this. All of God, A-W-E, all of God. I have a hard time saying that word should be the reason I do what I do. Being in, in awe of God, enchanted, being in awe of God is, should be um, why I think what I think. Because I can look back in my life and I, and I know the depths at which I was at and where I was living and where God has rescued me from. I am very aware of those, that place, those moments, those things. I'm reminded of them often. But as I see God growing in my life and rescuing me, sometimes physically rescuing me, and I see how God has moved in in my life and broken those chains and and done that thing and and broke me there and matured me there, we see it and we we say this often in Church Project that our sanctification, our being made like God is not just this straight arrow, but it's this thing where one day, man, I'm looking like Mother Teresa and the next day I'm like this and the next day I I look like Chad Hardy. I'm loving God. And I I keep doing this, but all along I look at my life and and I'm, I'm not here anymore. I may be here, and I've still got a long ways to go, and my journey looks like this, this ups and downs of trusting God and what he's doing in my life, and I'm thankful that I am not back there anymore. And it's because of that, awe of God, how much he loves me, how much he's been pursuing me, that I should do what I do, and think what I think, and spend my money on what I spend my money on. And go where I go and schedule what I schedule and parent how I parent. All of God should drive me to be a part of this community of believers. It should drive me to work the way that I do at work. To spend my time off the way that I do. All of God is meant to rule and dominate every aspect of my life. He is my Savior and He is my Lord. My purpose is to worship God and to be awe in awe of who He is. My purpose is to worship Him, even through suffering, as we patiently wait on Him. And when we're suffering and we're patiently waiting, we don't ask the question, Why? Not, God, no, why? Why are you doing this? But we ask, church, a very mature question, and it's a hard question to ask. Not the why question, not the woe is me question, but we ask the what. God, what are you doing in this? Because sometimes your ways are higher than mine, and I don't know what you're doing in my life. And if I had my way, I would not be suffering in this way because it's hell, and I don't know how I'm going to get out of it. But church, a, a, a people that is being made more like God won't ask why. They'll ask what? God, what are you doing? How can I worship you through even that? So, when this knowledge hits tomorrow morning, or maybe today, as we get in the car, it's not just a broken down car. It's a call to worship. 
It's not just an inconvenience. It's a call to worship. It's not just a delayed flight. It's a call to worship. It's not, it's not just a three-hour wait in the Department of Motor Vehicle line. It's a call to worship. It's not just an awkward elevator ride. It's a call to worship. It's not just, it's not just, it's not just. Worship is at the center of our life. Everything we do, everything we say, all that our actions should be our worship. As we move in awe of what God has done in our life and we elevate each other to greatness, we don't condemn each other. We don't attack each other with our verbal bullying, but we lift up an inheritance and say, you know what, you are a child of a king. The way that you're thinking, the way that you're speaking, that we're not going to stand for that. We build an inheritance in the way that we live, the way that we talk, the way that we encourage each other, in the way that we worship each other, or worship God with our relationship to each other. We do that, church. This is unstoppable. We don't need a Sunday morning message. We don't even need the worship, the band. Because we have God. So the world can come in, take Aaron out of the picture, Remove the band, and we're still little micro-Christians running around in awe of God and worshiping Him with all our deeds. Unstoppable. Beautiful. The world is dark. We see it every day. But as Christians, the roof has been removed, and we see beyond. And that's where I want to use our intentions is beyond. Beyond today, beyond the, the, the temporal, move into the eternal as we spur each other on to love and good deeds and call out greatness. That's all I got. I'm going to ask us today, if we would, to just close our Bible. Because if worship is at the center of everything that we do, let's worship Him in this place. I don't know what exactly God was speaking to you or how he's moving in your heart right now. But this is a pretty powerful moment to just spend quietly with God Almighty. Just you two. If you're comfortable with it, I would ask you to close your eyes and and place your hands out in front of you and just your palms open. And this is nothing more than a, a physically submissive state. It's hard to fight like this. It's hard to hold on to to things like this. It's hard to feel guilty about that thing like this. And it's really easy to give all that we are to God. Say, God, here, here I'm hearing a message of love that I have never read about on on Facebook or social media. This is foreign to me. The news channels don't talk about this kind of love. I see hate everywhere that I go, but I'm hearing about this love. How much you pursuing me and how much you love me, regardless of my actions. God, I want to know more of that love. So in this place, maybe the way that you are sitting in the chair is... I don't know. 
God might be prodding your heart. He might be prodding your mind for the, for the first time. Saying, just tapping you on the shoulder, gently saying, I'm pursuing you, I love you, I've given everything for you. And the question really is, is for you. Would you stop trying to live on your own and would you begin to let me move in your life? Show you how much I love you, how proud of you I am. Regardless of any action, I've already forgiven. I've died on the cross to cover all of your actions. I've risen from the dead. My blood washes over you. You are pure. You're not ugly. You're not defeated. You're a victor because of me and my blood. So as you sit here today, maybe for the first time, with your hands open, you just say, God, here's my life. I know it doesn't align with this beautiful love message I'm hearing, but God, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask you to make me clean, to make me a child of you. God, I give you control of my life today. And if that's you, I would ask that on your chair is a response card. Man, I'm pumped if that's you today. Just write down your name email, your phone number, say, today's the day that, that uh, you know, I committed my life to Christ, and I want to talk to someone about this, because this is intriguing, like something's happening in me right now that I'm so excited about and confused about, and I, I would say, right, let us know about that, so we can celebrate with you, and we can walk with you, and once you filled out that card, if you would put that in the offering box as well, at the end, that would be beautiful. But I also know there's a lot of people here, and we call ourselves Christians. That means we're trying to live our life like Christ, little little Christians. And as we encounter this passage in James, oh, it's convicting. So I don't know what God's working on you, but let's, let's pray together just corporately. God, I pray that we would submit our lives to you. Anything we're holding on, we would put it in our hands and give it to you, God. Make us more like you. We submit our lives to you. God, you are our first love. Would you calm our hearts and calm our minds and capture our hearts, overwhelm us in this place. Bring us back to that quiet, still moment where nothing else matters except your love, God. Overwhelm us. May what we're hearing match up with the way that we're living. May this afternoon and tomorrow, may this message change the course of our life. May all our actions and deeds be worshipped to you. May all our sufferings we move through from awe of who you are, knowing that you're doing something fabulous in us. God, we repent from our impatience. We repent, we ask forgiveness for hurting each other with our words. May we not do that anymore. May we encourage each other daily as a body of Christ. You can do it. You got it. Stay focused on Christ. May we love you and others the way that you have asked us to. 
today we worship you.